focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have Kwon Soa and Yu Min. Guys, welcome back to the studio. Good evening, Good to see you guys. We are going to start things off uh, with the appointment of the Bank of Korea governor. We have Lee Chang-yong, of course, uh, getting the appointment there. The newly appointed Bank of Korea governor's term does come at a time when South Korea is grappling with rising inflation pressure, which has pushed up further by, of course, oil and commodity prices increasing amid the uh, war over in Ukraine. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Sumin, uh, tell us about the challenges and what's his stance on all this. Yeah, so as you said, President Moon Jae-in has formally appointed Lee Chang-yong as the new head of Bank of Korea earlier today. So with his inauguration ceremony earlier at 3 p.m., his four-year tenure has begun, but with a host of pressing challenges at hand. Well, the first and the most pressing task, of course, would be to tackle increasing inflationary pressure, with the stable price level being the primary number one goal of the Bank of Korea. Well, South Korea's CPI, Consumer Price Index, have jumped by more than 4 percent for the first time in more than a decade last month, and the BOK has raised its policy rate by a quarter percentage point last week to 1.5 percent, which was the fourth one since last August, to tamp down increasing inflation. So at an uh, inauguration speech earlier today, he said that the Bank of Korea needs to strike a delicate balance in carrying out monetary policy as a trade-off between economic growth and fighting inflation will restrict its room for policy maneuvering. Well, he earlier did hint his willingness to steadily raise the key interest rates to curb steep inflation, and he also did not completely rule out the possibility of taking big steps, which also points to uh, more than a 0.25 0.25 percentage point rate hike. So the steep rate hikes have spawned some concerns that they could hurt economic growth and that could increase debt burden on many of the households and companies that have taken out their loans to tide over the pandemic and also to buy real estates. So there's this protected war in Ukraine. The U.S.'s central bank's aggressive monetary tightening, which was much faster than anticipated, and the possibility of economic slowdown over in China because of this resurgence of Omicron infections, these all greatly elevate the level of external uncertainty. So uh, the Bank of Governor Lee chang will have to juggle a series of variables. And the bottom line from his speech earlier today was it's really necessary to strike a balance between inflation and economic growth. Exactly. And uh, I mean, how do you make everyone happy, right? Uh, no one's going to be happy with the key interest rate hikes, True. but of yeah. course, uh, that's what's needed at this time in order to control the inflation, which, by the way, I, I believe he was saying that inflation is something that we might have to go through for a year or two. So we're looking at a long haul here. But uh, what other challenges does he face? Of course, there's this household debt problem. The household debt has increased at a comparatively slower rate in the past recent months, but that amount, the sheer amount, remains pretty high. So there are some worries that it could pose potential risks to the South Korean economy. Now, according to the recent data from the Bank of Korea, outstanding bank loans to households came to 1,060.1 trillion won, which amounts to 865.4 billion U.S. dollars at the end of February, which is down 100 billion won from the previous month. So this decline in household debt is partly because of the government's continued restrictions on lending, rising borrowing costs because of these higher interest rates, and less demand for real estate 
estate purchases. Well, the newly appointed governor, Lee Chang-yong, is expected to be quite hawkish on that front. He uh, reportedly prefers monetary tightening, as he also previously said the interest rate hike will lead to a decrease in household debt. And also he said that he plans to cooperate with other financial authorities to come up with some more comprehensive solutions to tame this household debt problem because it's closely tied to a lot of real estate policies. And so uh, there are some other long-term challenges, and Lee especially shed light on various longer-term issues uh, ranging from aging population, stagnation, and widening income gap. And there's this very task of reforming the organizational culture of the Bank of Korea. Well, he said interest rate hike would lead to a decrease in household debt. Isn't it? Partly, it, yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. I would have thought there's the other way around. But, you know, when it comes to household one debt... The, one of the solutions. Okay, so, you know, when it comes to household debt, it's one of those things that I keep bringing up. But uh, people were just not afraid to borrow money during mm-hmm. the two-plus years during the pandemic when there was a low interest rate. Um, but, again, you have to take into consideration we're not going to have near-zero interest rates forever. Once, you know, the pandemic situation was going to settle down, we knew that the interest rates were going to go back up. There were warnings uh, from the government, don't go off, you know, buying uh, houses left and right because the household debt right now, the level is really, really high. It's amongst the highest, I believe, yeah. uh, in Korea history. So, I, you know, again, I, you know, I know there's people panicking, but there, there were warnings uh, before this. Um, but nevertheless, as we talk about, it, there's a lot of challenges that the new BOK governor is going to be facing, a lot on the plate for him as well. Producer prices, again, up for the third straight month in March with the inflation pressure not expected to wane anytime soon. So, so give us the latest figures here. Sure. So producer prices rose to the highest level in more than five years last month. According to the Bank of Korea this Thursday, South Korea's producer price index for March stood at 116.46, a rise by 1.3 percent from the previous month. It's the biggest gain since a 1.5 percent on-month rise in January 2017. It also marks an increase for the third consecutive month, as you mentioned, SJ. And uh, when comparing the index to the previous year, it's up by 8.8%, with the on-year rise continuing for the 16th straight month. The Producer Price Index, or PPI, is a key barometer of consumer inflation, with the rising trend attributed to a rise in energy and raw material prices, in particular due to high global oil prices. Uh, This is how an official at the central bank explained this Thursday. All of that being triggered by the ongoing Ukraine war, as well as a higher demand in products due to the improving pandemic situation. In fact, industrial goods prices went up 2.3% in March from February, among with coal and oil-related product costs soaring 15.6% in the same span. Uh, Meanwhile, on the back of the surging energy prices uh, but much-needed demand, South Korea's imports are growing at a faster pace than exports. That meaning the country may post another trade deficit in April, based on data from the first 20 days of this month by the Korea Customs Service this Thursday. Uh, Imports jumped 25.5% on-year to 41.5 billion U.S. dollars, leading to a trade deficit of 5.2 billion dollars in this particular span. 
Now, that doesn't mean, though, that exports performed bad. Outbound shipments also grew by nearly 17% on year in the April 1st to 20th period. So we'll see in the next weeks how things uh, develop. But if this trend continues, we'll likely to see the nation's trade balance in the red for the second straight month. Yeah, not to mention, I think the other thing that we need to take into consideration is that the dollar has been very strong against yeah. the Korean one. And so, you know, obviously that's going to uh, impact the export figures as well. But uh, according to a new Federal Reserve report, elevated inflation showed a little sign of relenting in the coming months in the U.S., and uh, clouded the growth outlook for the economy. So what does the report tell us, Sumin? So in a round of anecdotal information known as the Beige Book, uh, produced by the Federal Reserve, supply chain bottlenecks, the highest inflation in decades, and of course the persisting labor shortage are really weighing on businesses across the United States. Well, the Fed usually uses this report as the fundamental data they refer to during the regular FOMC meeting. Well, according to the Beige Book, inflationary pressure remained strong over the past few months with widespread price increases in manufacturing, including steeper costs for raw materials, transportation, and labor. Well, several districts in the United States also reported spikes in prices for energy, metals, and agricultural commodities, of course, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, while others also noted the COVID-19 lockdown in China has exacerbated pandemic-induced disruptions in the global supply chain. Well, the report also introduced a pretty interesting broader trend known as the Great Resignation, which basically referred to newly uh, empowered workers quitting their jobs in favor of better wages, working conditions and hours, as businesses tend to lure new workers with higher salaries. And that being said, Americans' incomes are rising across the board as employers have ramped up hiring to offset the losses. But some firms, companies did say that tight labor market and growing wages have worsened in inflationary pressures. So this report came amid overwhelming speculations that the Fed will take a big step to raise a key interest rate by 0.5 percentage point at once to curb the worst inflation the U.S. is dealing with in 40 years, with their CPI, the Consumer Price Index, soaring by 8.5 percent in March from the previous year. So this hottest inflation have forced the Federal Reserve to take a more hawkish approach to stave off inflation. And there are a lot of voices that they are uh, asking the Fed to immediately move on to implementing a quantitative tightening measure. Now, traders are pricing and more than a 95% chance of a hefty half-point rate jump when policymakers meet next month. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, works in this industry, and he was uh, saying that there's my, probably going to be about two or three more uh, rate hikes mm. this year alone, and so that's a lot. But uh, just kind of going back to the whole job uh, situation, yeah, at, at first I was like, I mean, you guys are you know, complaining about better wages and working conditions, and yet uh, you, know, you guys are not working, not making any money. I'd much rather just work, but uh, you know, now now that you have these like skyrocketing inflation, right? Mm, I mean, the, yeah. the big thing is prices are going up, but what we're making is staying the same. And uh, it's, yeah, it's worth, I think, you know, people fighting for at this time. It is getting hotter and hotter to uh, forge some of these uh, daily necessities, uh, mm. as we say. Uh, we're going to move on to some other interesting economic news here. Netflix, of course, I'm sure everyone subscribed mm. to this. Uh, they actually found their stock prices plunging on Wednesday, following a loss in subscribers for the first time in a decade. So how much of a loss are we talking about here? And what's behind this underperformance, Hua? 
Well, Netflix, the leading video streaming platform or streaming juggernaut, I would like to say, has been hit with its biggest single day drop in its stock prices in over a decade. Shares of Netflix tumbled 35.1% on Wednesday, posting its worst day since 2004. It's actually the second time this year that the company's shares fell in such a sharp manner. Now, Netflix closed at a little over $226, shedding more than a third of its value and becoming the S&P 500's worst performer of the day. Now, that sharp plunge erases $54 billion in market value. And this comes as the streaming giant announced its loss of more than 200,000 subscribers in the first quarter of the year. While the number of new subscribers have been slowing down, it uh, marks the first time in a decade that Netflix actually reported a net loss in subscribers. Now, what's worse, uh, the company expects to lose another $2 million over the next Next quarter. Uh, currently, uh, some 221.6 million have subscribed to Netflix. And quarterly net profit came at $1.6 billion, down from a little over $1.7 billion last year. So you might ask yourself, was this actually expected? And the answer to that would be no, because Netflix earlier had actually anticipated to add 2.5 million customers in the first quarter. Uh, The company blamed the underperformance on its withdrawal from the Russian market due to the invasion of Ukraine. And in fact, some 700,000 subscribers from Russia have been lost alone. And also the company blamed this uh, trend on the slug economy, especially inflation again, as well as rising competition in the streaming market. Industry watchers say, and actually this was also the first thing that I associated with the plunge, uh, the COVID-19 boom seems to be over because we know that the pandemic was actually what boosted this market tremendously with theaters shutting down and also stay-at-home orders being implemented. In this case, more countries like the U.S. uh, because, uh, for instance, uh, in Korea, We did not really have to really stay at home, but still uh, the U.S. market, in fact, is especially big. Uh, And then there is the rivalry that has kicked off in the video streaming platform market that's uh, affecting Netflix ever since Disney Plus. I I know, SJ, you're a big fan of that. (laughs) Uh, Apple TV, etc. emerged as strong competitors. But uh, analysts note that this relatively new industry is still at a stage where competitors have to gain side by side to continuously make the streaming industry a successful one. However, OTT players in the market saw their stock prices fall along with Netflix, including Disney, Roku and Warner Brothers Discovery. So definitely something to keep an eye on for those streamers as well as investors in this market. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the number one reason is because of the, the COVID-19 boom, right? I mean, it's we knew that they were just seeing historic numbers uh, mm. because everyone was staying indoors. All right. they were yeah. doing is, you know, watching Netflix and stuff. And now that everything is open, you're right. Movie theaters are open. People are just going in and about. Uh, they're not going to be watching it anymore. But the other thing that I think, you know, upset a lot of the subscribers is number one, they, they raised the price of the uh, you know the monthly subscription, and number two, I what what they're trying to do is they're cracking down on sharing of the account, mm, right? Yeah. And apparently there's like emails or something like that uh, being sent uh, from Netflix saying, listen, uh, don't share your passwords and your IDs. But it does allow four different accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what you uh, you know subscribe for. 
And uh, I, I certainly share with my family members, and I thought that was the, you know, the okay thing to do, to be right, honest with senior. you. So, yeah. yeah, so they're, because they're cracking down on it, I think there was a lot of people that were uh, quite upset. Uh, but still, still, um, it, it was, you know, a major loss that you saw on, uh, you know, Wednesday, th- more than 35% dropping. But how do you guys see the future of the OTT industry moving forward? Because, I, you know, we're just seeing more competition Less people signing up because COVID-19 is on a downhill trend right now. Uh, let's start off with you, Sumin. Yeah, so, well, I basically do not believe it has reached its peak yet, the OTT industry, but it's not an entirely saturated market just yet. But I do think it will play toe pretty soon. They, so I think they will need to find a way to diversify its revenue stream. And according to the research that I saw, the global OTT market is projected to be worth more than $194 billion by 2025. So that's in three years. So the future of OTT platform in the short run looks pretty bright, but they are also so expected to face very stiff, very strong, fierce competition because more content creators and publishers, of course, the broadcaster will try their hands at launching branded OTT apps in the coming years. And I mean, there are so many players already. There are Apple TV, Disney Plus, and a lot of local OTT platforms like Neighbors Wave, Tiving, and Watcha. And uh, some people are saying that today's consumers have likely subscribed to more OTT platforms that they can Count. So I don't think uh, the consumers will necessarily, you know, subscribe to more OTT platforms to watch different types of contents like one Netflix subscriber subscribing to the Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus and so on and so forth like that. So basically, um, I think if you want to really attract and retain more subscribers at this point, the key would be to, you know, consistently provide them with high quality original content. And I don't really see um, other ways to increase its pie for Netflix. Maybe they will introduce advanced pricing system like YouTube Red. Like, um, honestly, but thinking of ads being slipped in while we are watching oh Netflix. Gosh. Yeah, oh just the gosh. thought of it, you I'm know, sorry. annoys us, bothers us like us. No, 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 no. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're paying, you're paying. I don't, I forget how much I pay for Netflix. Yeah. Uh, Paulina says she pays, uh, what is it? Five pounds and 99 pence. I don't know how to read that. It, it's in uh, pounds, but, pounds. uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, if I'm paying something around like sixteen, seventeen dollars or something, I am not going to be watching advertisements. Yeah, I'm sorry. Exactly. It, if if Netflix decides they're going to put ads, I'm canceling that right away. The only reason why I still have Netflix is because my son likes to watch Gigantosaurus, <laughs> and I'm paying sixteen dollars a month just so he could watch Gigantosaurus and some. <laughs> some baby shark stuff uh it's it's overpriced um but uh, greg s says because of food and bill inflations people have less income available for streaming services mm. i agree with that as well everything else is uh, really uh, very expensive so they don't have i guess uh, the convenience of affording that uh, so uh, what about yourself well actually before this news came out just a few days ago i was uh, watching tv and saw an advertisement uh from an ott platform and i don't even remember which one it was mm-hmm. so that itself made me think about the future of this OTT platform uh, market because all of these new players uh, will need their own features that differentiate themselves from Netflix and others. So be it marketing strategies or the contents or just uh, being the most affordable in the market, uh, some of these uh, features have to really be, you know, 
contemplated on in the future, I believe. Or else I think it won't be too shocking to see that the industry looks quite different in maybe just a year from now. Uh, But going back to Netflix, I'm sure that the company will come up with something to make up for its losses this time around. And that because I recently read an article uh, that uh, spoke about some big CEOs like from Coca-Cola as well as Netflix and Amazon. And uh, there I found it very interesting. I just have this article right in front of me. Uh, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings said that he was worried about uh, the company having a high ratio of, um, he said our hit ratio is too high right now. Mm. which you would think is a good thing, right? Yeah. But uh, he said this at a technology conference saying that we have to take more risk to try more crazy things. We should have a higher cancel rate overall. So I found Mm -hmm. this very interesting because this article was actually titled uh, something like uh, what um, these CEOs learn from failure. So I think this stage right now where we see Netflix losing so much of its shares could be a point where a turning point where the company comes up with something very creative or very new, given what the CEO had said back then. And I think one of this could be the way accounts are made. And that's, again, referring back to what SJ mentioned earlier on the crackdowns, as the company has hinted on a global crackdown because an estimated over 100 million households do share passwords. So maybe something different in that system or something totally different could uh, happen in this market in the future. So I'm not too pessimistic about uh, the future of the OTT market. uh, But I guess everyone in this industry does have to really uh, be cautious uh, and see this uh, sudden plunge in Netflix share as uh, a signal to do more. You know, um, I subscribe to three OTT platforms. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. What's the reason? Well, because, um, number one, I don't like to watch television. Mm -hmm. Why that? There's nothing good on. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's there's nothing good on, right? I I like to watch, okay? Now, these days, what it seems like, what I I subscribe to Disney Plus, and I also subscribe to Wave. Mm. Now, the reason why I subscribe to Wave was because I found that they had The Office, you know, the U.S. version of Office. And I've watched all nine seasons of that like 10 times. And Wave is known to have like, now they're coming out with new originals, but they have like old dramas Mm. that people used to watch. Like I liked watching Hajun and, you know, (laughs) Sangdo and all those old dramas. Uh, They have that. I watch Disney Plus because they have all these old shows that I used to watch. Mm -hmm. What Netflix does is anything that gets old, they take it out. Some of us, we just like to kind of reminisce like the good old shows back then, Mm -hmm. watch something that we used to watch before and watch it again. But they get rid of it and they start coming out with these new things. And because they're so pressured to come out with something new, not all of them are good. I can't, I can't, again, I don't know any good thing that's coming out in Netflix. I haven't watched Netflix in a really, really long time. Uh, Greg S. says, it depends on how they do it. If they play two minutes of ads before their show starts... But Perhaps. not threaten. Nah, no. No. <laughs> because you know when you're on YouTube, sometimes. What if they lower the subscription fee? Uh, that maybe that's be different. But they're also going to be making less money, though, mm. right? But uh, just going back to the ads, ads starting in the beginning. You know, on YouTube, when you start watching a, uh, you want to look at a video, and then there's one, there's certain videos that have five second ads, mm. and then there's some that have fifteen second ads. I never watched the one to 15 second ads mm. because that, for some Same reason, here, that yeah. 15 seconds seems so long and I don't want to watch it. And then they come up with a second ad that comes up. I, I watch television. 
I'll have to go through television rather than watch the you know advertising. It makes absolutely no sense that you're paying for a subscription and you'll have to uh, get ads. I know Netflix is they're coming up with new ideas though because um, they're they're gonna get into the gaming industry. Mm. Oh, so maybe. Maybe, That's a different story. Yeah, yeah, maybe then they'll start seeing uh, new subscribers move forward. But again, then everyone else is going to start doing gaming subscriptions, right? Uh, guys, we're going to switch gears this time. It uh, really was uh, huge, huge news uh, globally because the uh, Russia Defense Ministry announced it has successfully conducted the first test of a new intercontinental ballistic missile with Putin, saying the missile will test uh, the missile test will provide. Food for thought for its enemies. Uh, Sumi, tell us more about this. Yeah, so we're now heading into two months ever since the Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Russia has launched a new nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missile, which President Vladimir Putin said on Wednesday local time would make Moscow's enemies stop and think. So that missile is capable of striking a target 11,200 miles away. And this nuclear-capable Sarmat RS-28 is said to be the world's longest range intercontinental ballistic missile. So this Sarmat missile has been test launched for the first time in northwest Russia and hit targets in the peninsula nearly 6,000 kilometers away. Now Putin said that the new complex has the highest tactical and technical characteristics and is capable of overcoming all modern means of anti-missile defense. And he also praised this capability by saying that it has no analogs in the world, saying it's the world's best. Well, U.S.'s response to this ICBM launch was pretty calm, considering, you know, the gravity of the situation. They described this testing as routine, and they dismissed any global threat. Well, the Pentagon said that it was previously notified by the Kremlin of its intention to test launch this weapon. Well, it did not come off as a great surprise for the Western countries, but it did come at a moment of extreme geopolitical tension. So pundits are now saying that there was an element of posturing and symbolism involved in this test launch less than three weeks before the annual Victory Day parade where Russia tends to show off its latest weapons. And also it comes at a time when a lot of technology has not been delivered, has not delivered the results that they would have liked. So when Putin first invaded Ukraine in February, he did make a reference to his nation's nuclear deterrence, warning the West that any major intervention would lead you to such consequences that you have never encountered in your history. So his comments are taken as a reminder of Russia's military might as well as his steadfast willingness to escalate tensions over in Ukraine. All right. So, uh, Sumit, how dangerous, though, is Russia's ICBM, I think, is the big question that everyone has. Exactly. So we could gauge its power with its nickname because the NATO actually dubbed the Sarmat as Satan Satan, too. So the Sarmat is basically a heavy ICBM, and it's the latest addition to Russia's nuclear arsenal. It's weigh- it weighs more than 200 tons, and it can be deployed with 10 or more warheads on each missile, and even hypersonic warhead known as Object 4202. So this hypersonic warhead can basically strike anywhere on Earth within an hour, according to Russia, and it's designed to fly along its own route even after being separated from the missile. And Russian President Vladimir Putin himself boasted its capability, saying that the missile can hit any target on Earth. So let me give you a perspective. According to local media outlets, this nuclear warhead mounted on Sarmad is estimated to be 
2,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima in Japan back during the Pacific War. And uh, this Sarmat is another addition to the projectiles that Russia has because Russia is already the country with the most nuclear weapons with 5,977 warheads of which 1,185 are ICBMs. Yeah, again, I mean, you know, it's one of those things you could have, you know, I could have a country, I could own a country, uh, an island country, and I have 10 million warheads. It doesn't matter uh, because, again, it's one of those things that you're just going, listen, this is how much we have because they're not really going to use any of them, right? Although Russia, again, there's talks about maybe they might use uh, nuclear weapons uh, when it comes to Ukraine. Um, but yeah, them basically saying this is the longest range ICBM is a threat to all countries. And I think it's also a threat to uh, the United States. Uh, this is the same thing that the you know North Koreans are trying to do, increase, you know, the, the distance in their projectiles so that they can say that it could reach, uh, you know, mainland United States mm-hmm. is something that they talk about all the time. Uh, in the meantime, Washington, in Washington, a group of walkout took place at the G20 meeting of finance ministers in protest against Russia's attendance. Uh, so what, tell us about this incident. Right. So the participation of Russia at the G20 finance ministers and central bank governors in Washington, D.C. has been under controversy and was especially denounced by countries in the West. And as Russia did attend the meeting, a number of nations showed their discontent by walking out of a closed-door session on Wednesday. Among them were senior officials from the finance sector, such as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who led a multination boycott caught the moment Russian officials spoke. Officials from Ukraine, of course, uh, Britain, France, Canada, the Netherlands, and Germany joined in. Also, there was quite a portion of officials that attended virtually, so they decided to just turn their cameras off. (laughs) Right, and uh, other countries of the G20, though, like China, India, did not sympathize with what was a mainly G7-led move, and uh, South Korea, for its part, uh, did stay at the meeting. Now, Uh, But uh, what the world leaders uh, that uh, participated in this walkout said is that they cannot just ignore the situation in Ukraine at such a uh, global meeting. Uh, British finance minister, for instance, said we are united in our condemnation of Russia's war against Ukraine and will push for stronger international coordination to punish Russia. And also an official from Canada said that the world's democracies will not stand idly by in the face of continued Russian aggression and war crimes. Russia, of course, uh, was not pleased with this walkout, and its finance minister said the G20 should not politicize the dialogue, saying the Group of 20 has always been and remains the economic format in the first instance. Now, in related news, uh, Russia's ongoing aggressions uh, in Ukraine are even affecting the music arena. Uh, One of the world's most renowned music competitions in the world, the Tchaikovsky Competition, has been expelled from the World Federation of International Music Competitions, announced through a statement by the WFIMC, which has voted on the issue with a majority having voted to exclude the Russian government-financed competition. I don't know what's going to happen at the end. 
And I don't know if it's one of those things where people go, okay, Russia, you did something really bad, and then, uh, you know, let's forget about it. Um, I, man, I, I just can't think of a positive finish to all the things happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russia has really, really isolated itself yeah. uh, from the rest of the world right now. And I don't know how they're going to undo any of the damage that they've done in the past two months, but we'll have to see, right? Uh, Ukrainian officials reportedly preparing to hold negotiations in Mariupol with Russia's offensive intensifying the eastern parts of Ukraine. Uh, let's get a kind of a sense of a situation there, Sumin. Yeah, so Mariupol is believed to be the last Ukrainian stronghold and has been besieged by Russian troops. And Ukraine is now taking the initiative, first offering to hold negotiations in the city to evacuate its troops and civilians. Well, senior Ukrainian negotiators said on Wednesday that they offered to hold special talks with Russia in Mariupol without any conditions. Negotiator Mikhailo Podolyak tweeted on Wednesday local time, that the talks could be one-on-one or two-or-two. So Ukraine previously accused Russian forces of failing to observe a local ceasefire agreement long enough to allow large numbers of women, children, and elderly people to flee the city. And that led the remaining fighters hold up in a vast steelworks and plants, and the commander issued a dire warning saying that the fighters are now being bombed with heavy bombs, they are being torn up by artillery, and they are underground. Well, the Ukrainian fighters have ignored previous ultimatums by Russia to surrender, and they made it clear on Wednesday that their stance had not changed. So evacuation efforts will resume on Thursday local time. But this constant Russian shelling and a failure to uphold the ceasefire agreement had made an evacuation impossible. And U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken told at a news conference in Panama, well, he said that there are reportedly some more serious wartime atrocities and destructions happening in Mariupol then in Bucha. So this basically points to the gravity of the situation now happening there. But the Ukrainian side, as of deputy commanders, Vlatoslav Palomar said in a video appeal that they do not accept conditions set down by the Russian Federation on giving up their weapons and their defenders, giving themselves up as prisoners. You know, this is going to have to end one way or another. Uh, it's just a matter of what's going to happen to Vladimir Putin after everything is done and over with, right? And uh, I, I've heard there's a lot of tensions within the inner circle already. And so we're hoping this ends real quickly. Another thing that we're hoping ends real quickly is certainly this pandemic. Uh, we might be headed towards that way. Uh, we're seeing uh, cases decline under 100,000 once again on this uh, Thursday. But uh, there's a lot of talks regarding the mask mandates because we literally have all these social distancing measures lifted except for the mask mandates. Uh, let's get more on this, Hoa. Yeah, so let's start with the mask issue. Officials at a briefing this Thursday explained that once outdoor mask rules are lifted, uh, this will be probably lifted before indoor uh, mask rules, of course, uh, then people won't be fined anymore, even if they are within two meters of distance with others. Uh, but they also noted that uh, even right now, if you are apart from another person outdoors and it's more than two meters, then you're not getting fined. I think that was something you earlier mentioned yeah, yeah. in the program, SJ. Uh, but uh, again, officials do stress uh, that uh, for now, for quite a 
for more weeks, we will probably have to wait and see uh, whether we can really get rid of the masks and also when we can uh, scrap the indoor mask mandates as well. But uh, in terms of the latest uh, COVID-19 trend, infections have dropped to the five-digit level. 90,867 new cases were reported as of 12 a.m. That's down from more than 110,000 yesterday. It's also the first time that the daily caseload dropped to below 100,000 in the middle of the week Mm. since February, uh, since mid-February. We've got 846 people remaining in severe or critical condition. It's slightly more than the day before, uh, but uh, for the fifth straight day, this number is in the 800 range. And uh, also the medical capacity is uh, stable right now. Uh, We've got uh, a little under 50,000 people that are uh, being monitored for intense monitoring, those people that are being recovered at home. And uh, meanwhile, 147 new deaths were reported in the span of 24 hours as of this Thursday. You know, I, I guess and it's it's inevitable that we have to uh, lift the mask mandates eventually. Um, but uh, when I am going to get a bit concerned is when they do also lift the quarantine measures, right, uh, for those who have been infected and they're allowed to go out and yet they have the masks off. And there's, I wouldn't be worried about people who are healthy, but there's also, you know, senior citizens or there's people who have underlying illnesses. Uh, that's what I'm concerned about. But, Same here. Uh, yeah. you know, we'll have to see. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, pros and cons to lifting some of these measures in place. But I've always had no problem wearing masks. I'm still <laughs> going to be. I, I've, I've already had COVID. I'm still going to be wearing masks. I just, you know, safer for everyone around me, I guess. I just want to quickly mention, I just saw a report where someone were, has been reinfected just after 20 days or so. With, the, just, Omi- with the Omicron? Um, probably Omicron if it's 20 days and we... Nobody's so, immune to the good virus. Good point, SJ. Even if you were infected, it's a good idea your to keep your mask on. Infection. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. I thought I had super immunity. Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll just have to be safer, right, guys? As always, thank you very much for your reports today and insights on some of these issues. Stay safe, masks on, and we'll see you again. See you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.